This morning, if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 1, uh, we are going to look this morning at the birth of Jesus Christ and uh, the meaning that we should attach to his birth as we celebrate Christmas uh, this week and this next weekend. Uh, we're going to read the passage, and then after, we're, after we pray, we'll make some application uh, from the text. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we praise you, uh, for you are the omnipresent God. We are thankful for the gift of your Son and the presence of your Holy Spirit. We ask for your grace to give us ears to hear what the Spirit would speak to us this morning. May the churches that gather this morning be blessed by your presence. We pray for our brothers and sisters at Creekside this morning. I ask, Lord, that you give Pastor Steve favor as he is faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for the church that is under persecution throughout the world, but particularly in Nigeria. I pray that you would give mercy and justice uh, to the oppressed and the oppressors. I pray that our Nigerian brothers and sisters, by their love, might win them to Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. As you are able, would you stand with me uh, for the reading of God's word this morning from Matthew uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is God's word. You may be seated. God is with us. We celebrate this truth every day. But in particular, and in a particular way, we celebrate this at Christmas time. God with us. And as a Christian, we live in what the Latin term calls Corum Deo. That is, we live in the reality of the presence of God. We declare as Christians, the invisible God has made himself known to us. We proclaim that God is present with us. He is present with us in every trial. He is present with us in every triumph. He is our God, and we are his people. And where we go, there he is. The scripture says that he is our very present help in a time of need. You see, God is a personal God. He is acquainted with the cares and, and, and the fears and the struggles. He is acquainted with them and he cares for his people. And he cares for his people in a personal way. God exists in himself as a relational being. The triune God exists in three persons. The Father 
to describe it as the Puritans do, is, is the fountain of goodness, righteousness, and holiness. And though distinctly a different person, the Son, Jesus Christ, inseparable from the Father, the goodness, the righteousness, and the holiness of the Father flows through Him. And God, the Holy Spirit, distinct from the Father and the Son, but never separate from them, is the power of God's goodness, righteousness, and holiness in making the triune God knowable. Perfect in relationship with one another. God is a, re- a relational God. In Genesis 1, 26-27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the, he- of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God says, in essence, we will make a human with a relational quality that I have present in myself. I will make man after my image with a relational quality, just as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have a relational quality. They have relation with one another. I will make one who is relational with us. One who is like us. Our first father, Adam, he walked with God in the garden daily. But soon you know what happened. A wedge would be driven between God and man. In Genesis 3, verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Sin had come between Adam, Eve, and their God and all humankind born after them. But even so, right in the midst of this fallen thing, God makes a promise. He makes a promise which is known as the Proto-Evangelium. It is the first mention, really, of the gospel. He says in verse 15 of Genesis 3, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. One will come. One will come who will defeat the serpent, punish for God's people's sin, and will restore his relationship with his people. The one who is to come will be a mediator between God and man. He will be a substitute for a sinful man, being sinless himself. The justice man deserved will be poured out upon him. The personal God will once again be God with us in personal relationship. And along the way, Throughout the scripture, God foreshadowed his personal presence in many ways. Through God's mediator, Moses, he was present with him on the mountain. In a pillar of fire and a cloud, God made something of his presence known. Israel instructed to make a dwelling place for God. Something of his glory would be in the tent of meeting and later in the temple. But this is still pale in comparison to what Adam had before the fall. Before the fall, he was present with God. He was walking with God in the cool of the day. This presence of God in the temple 
Only the high priest and only one day per year can anyone enter into the Holy of Holies, the most tangible presence of God. Even then, it was a frightful thing to be in the presence of holy God. See if the high priest had uh, some unconfessed sin in him. They tied a rope around him to make sure if he went in and he had some unconfessed sin, they couldn't go in and get him because they too would die. They had to drag him out. They had to drag him out by the rope. It was a scary thing to be in the presence of God, knowing that this person could have some unconfessed sin. The prophets then, they continued to declare the promise of the one who would come, the one who would act wisely, the one who would suffer the punishment for God's people, the sufficient sacrifice that all of God's people would have access to his presence based on the righteous one, based on the one whom God was sending. And the question becomes, but who is sufficient for such things? Who could be sufficient for such things? Could a man live a perfect life? Could a man offer himself as a penalty for another's sin? Let alone one man offer himself for the sins of all of God's people. Who would be sufficient for such things? And hundreds of years ahead of the coming one, Isaiah tells us, the one who will do this is God. Isaiah tells us, who the one who is sufficient for such things is God. God is sufficient for such things. He tells us in Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Now catch the end of this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of God has brought to us himself. Born as one of us who lived like none of us and died for the sins of many of us who would believe. The truth of this passage is that God would once again be with us. Matthew 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The significance of Christmas is that God is with us, that it is the zeal of God, the heart of God, the love of God for sinners like you and for me, that he gifted him, us to us himself. 
in the person of Jesus Christ. See, at Christmas time, we look back at the birth, but it ought to remind us of our present reality that God is with us now and forever. The one who was born to us, we look back at that birth and his name, God with us. This is a present reality for the Christian. We look back at the birth and it has much fuller meaning when we understand that God is now with us forever. In Genesis 28, God promises to be present with us until all of his promises reach their fulfillment. In Genesis 28, 15, it says, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I'll bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. In the second giving of the law, we're reminded of God's steadfast presence. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 8, it says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Remember Jesus' departing words to uh, his disciples prior to his ascension to the throne of God. In Matthew 28, he says, Lo, I am with you until the end of the age. God is with us even to the end of the age. Jesus, knowing that he was soon to be with the Father, reminds his disciples that God is with you and that God will be with you. In John 14, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another help, helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Looking back on Christmas morning at the birth of God with us, we are confident of our access to God in that the Holy Spirit of God has been sent to us to dwell in us. I would ask this morning, do you have the assurance that God is with you? That God is with us? Do you know that you know that you know that God is? Is with us. What defense would you get, give? What assurance could you give another that God is with you, that God is with us? This is the proclamation of the birth of Christ. God with us. God came to us. God is with us, never to leave us, never to forsake us. God is with us. How would you give an assurance to a worldly person who says, how can you know that you know that God is with you, that God is in you? The invisible God, the invisible God, you see, they, look, they would look at us and say, you are a strange bunch, you Christian people, who talk about an invisible God, but you say that he's dwelling within you, that he's with you, that he's always with you. Romans 8, 16 and 17 would be my defense for such a question. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. As we look back to our text 
and we see how God with us came. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to us as one of us, and yet he is God with us. He was born not of the will of man, but born of the zeal of God, born in the power of the Holy Spirit to a virgin. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, the zeal of God and the love of God and the mercy of God sent Emmanuel to be God with us. He is not only the God who is with us, but he is the God who rescues lost sinners. He is the God whose name, by his name alone, by Jesus' name alone, the only name upon heaven or earth that could save us. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is with us, and God is in us. And as we look back at the birth of Christ, that is what we celebrate. But at the same time, you know, I, I, I assume that all of us have uh, relatives, family members, who don't know Christ, who don't know that God sent his son to be God with us, to rescue us. They are in a condition, those in our family, are in a condition much like we were before God in his Holy Spirit and his power revealed himself to us. We have many family members who are just like we once were. This is how we once were. Remember, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that you were at a time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And without God in the world. When we celebrate the birth of Christ, when we point people to Jesus' birth, uh, it has this, this Christmas idea has become so commercialized that we've, we've lost the sense of hope that we need to deliver to our family members who are lost. You are alienated from God and you are without him in the world. But I want to tell you the story and the truth of Jesus' birth. Jesus' birth was God himself coming to his people. God with us. He was Jesus. He was the one who would take on the sins. The thing that separated you from relationship with God. The thing that made you an alien and a foreigner to God. This Jesus who came and was born. This Jesus is, is God with us. He is the Savior 
of the world. He's the savior of your soul. He is the one who will bring you into relationship with God the Father as you were intended to be from the beginning. If you will just repent and believe. We're alienated from God, without God, without hope in the world. We need to tell them that the birth of Christ means that now in Christ Jesus, you who are once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing uh, the law of commandments, expression, ordinances, that he might create himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, that he might reconcile us to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This Jesus, who we celebrate his birth, you know, you can look at a little baby in a cradle. But I hope that when we look at the birth of Jesus and the miraculous way that God came and is with us, that we would immediately move our hearts and minds to the cross, that he was born to die in the place of us, that we would look immediately to the cross. We see, yes, praise God. Thank you that you sent your son. Thank you that he was born in this miraculous way. Thank you that he was unlike us, that he uh, faithfully lived according to your law, according to your rules in our sin. Praise God for that. I praise God that you sent him and that he is God with us. But this God who was with us voluntarily took on our sin on the cross because he is the Jesus who saves. He's the one who saves his people. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. When we look at baby Jesus and we think about the birth of Christ at Christmas, I pray too that we would tell our family members that this Jesus came as a rescue for sinners. The problem is, is that maybe some of our family members don't know that they need to be rescued. Maybe they don't know. Maybe we haven't told them their condition. Hey, here's what God says about your condition. You're an alien. You're an alien from God. You're separated from him. But God sent his son to be born a perfect sacrifice for you. And this God, whose name is God with us, this Emmanuel, who is God with us, this God who is with us is the God who is with you from this point forward forever. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And just at the moment when you can't believe because your faith is not by sight, he sends you a helper, the Holy Spirit, to remind you that God is with you. God is in you. God is with us. Maybe we need to remind them of their condition, that they too, had they been perfect individuals on the earth, if there was such a one other than Christ, if there was such a one, born, we might remind them that you were born with an inherited problem. You were born with the inherited sin of Adam. 
Adam's transgression is upon you. You were born with this inherited problem. But God has a solution for that inherited problem. And we look back so many year ago, years ago and we say, we look at this and say, this Jesus Christ was born in this way, born of the Holy Spirit, born to a virgin. This Jesus is the one who would come and die for your sins, that you would be reconciled to God, back in perfect relationship with him. It's funny how sometimes, even in our own uh, personal lives, when we think that God is far from us, I've always had this feeling in myself sometimes that when God really seems to be far from me, I'm often reminded and prompted by the Holy Spirit of this truth. It is not God who has ever left me. It is me who wandered away. It's always me, in the end, who has wandered away from the goodness of God. He's always present. He's present with us. And yet I feel, oh, he's distant. God has forsaken me. God has forgotten me. And then, as I study the scriptures and the Holy Spirit, it's not even a prick. It's sort of like a knife in the heart. No. It is not he who departed you, it is you. It is you who departed him. It is you who have wandered away. I love that our God pursues us even when we are wanderers. Sometimes we sing that hymn, prone to wander. God, I feel it. I praise God that he is the God who is with us and he is the God who saves us.